My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Rebirth Superman run by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson is returning guest, Sweet Sweet Bernie Gersmeyer. <laughs> you threw a Sweet Sweet Bernie in there. Wow. The All Yet crew will love that. That's great. <laughs> speaking, speaking of which, I wanted to ask you, for people who want to see and hear more of Sweet Sweet Bernie, is that the place to go? Is it the All Yet Skokie Facebook page? Yeah. So I'm on the crew on the All Yet Comics Skokie, uh, at the All Yet Comics Skokie store, in, just outside Chicago, Illinois. And All Yet Comics Skokie Facebook is where we'll do live sales. Joe Crone is the uh, the point man there and is doing great work. And he's doing a lot of social media and videos and working a lot with Art Baltazar, the, one of the owners and creators. So it's cool. Very nice. And before we dive into this, another, I think, very cool personal Superman connection do you mind sharing with the audience what you did today? You you added to your your family. Yes. Uh, so in July we lost our dog of uh, ten or eleven years. So we took a little bit of break, kind of reevaluated what we were doing, and sent one of our girls to college. And my daughter's in freshman in high school, and my wife found herself more alone in the house, and she's like, "I think we need another dog sooner than later." So we found and uh, we rescued uh, a Maltese. Havanese uh, dog, which is small, like 15 pound kind of dog. But uh, she's got a really nice uh, tan cream, little brown coat. And uh, we named her Shelby uh, as Clark Kent's dog in Smallville. So I knew I, I knew you would appreciate that when I shared and texted that to you. So yeah, so she's great. And uh, our family's already really happy with her today. So that's great. And you share that they're upstairs watching a movie, including your daughter, your daughter named Lana, Lana, my, my youngest daughter, Lana, named after <laughs> Lana Lang. <laughs> That's perfect, man. I love it. Uh, it's, it's one of those things we all have this deep affection for the character. And when you see specific <laughs> instances where that's manifested in your life, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. So I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Your first appearance of 2022. Woo. This is <laughs> the second of two episodes looking at the rebirth era of the Superman titles. Last week we had Scott Honig on. We talked about the Dan Jurgens action run. This time we're looking at Tomasi and Gleason on Superman. This, this closes one of the few remaining gaps in my post-crisis Superman reading. There's not too much left that I haven't read at this point. All that's really left is the new Krypton saga. Okay. From the, you know, from the two thousands, the new 52 and Bendis. And other than that, okay. I've essentially read everything from Crisis forward. So it's exciting wow, to just, to close yeah. to close one of those few remaining gaps here. Is that new Krypton one the one with um, like is that the one Jeff Johns did and with the last stand on Krypton and all that kind of stuff too? Yes, and we yeah. very likely will be getting to that before the year is out on this podcast. Cool, nice, nice. That's awesome. Yes, and this also mentioning Smallville a moment ago. This also concludes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a thematically tied run of episodes because we looked at Superman and Lois season one, 
the entirety of the Smallville series when we did our wishlist episode, and then this Rebirth era. So four episodes that really dealt with the farm and family. So I hope that people have enjoyed this this run of episodes. And now we're going to close it out strong with this one. Yeah, that's a good segue because some of the things in my notes I made actually, a, a few of the aspects of this chapter, the Rebirth chapter, I do think that Superman and Lois writers are looking at some of this not necessarily as... Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon with some of the bizarro stuff, but uh, I, I definitely see themes that have been taken from this era that have translated very well to the CW show. I think it's made a big difference coming away from the other CW Arrowverse. I think the stuff we're going to talk about today is a is a big reason why this that show's doing well. Yes, I do agree with that. You definitely do see number of parallels. I think watching Superman and Lois, you do get a strong sense they're pulling from across the Superman mythology, but in particular, this era. I mean, certainly the fact that we're dealing with Clark as a father here, which is new territory in the comics. Clearly, they took a lot from there. The show's take on the Eradicator is very mm-hmm. similar to the version that Tomasi and Gleason introduce here. To your point, we'll see about Bizarro. I know, yeah. one, I know one complaint you had about this run, though, was that you wanted more Bizarro. Right. Was that the thing you because it was only three issues and you were hoping that it would have been a year long arc. Right. Uh, This audience (laughs) would be Anthony's uh, delving into sarcasm (laughs) of all the characters in the Superman universe. Bizarro is one of my least. And I'm sorry if I'm offending any fans out there, but I'll talk about why when we get to that point. It's just always been a bone of contention with me. Fair enough. Fair enough. To be honest, I feel like, I mean, I hate to say this, but I feel like after the Bizarro verse arc from this run, my affinity for Bizarro generally has has diminished. But we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about I'm it. I'm telling you, it's yeah, it's it's not it's not good. <laughs> so the run that we're talking about, co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson. Mm-hmm. Patrick Leeson yeah. was. The primary penciler, although it was really a rotating stable of artists who worked on this book, which came out twice a month, which I'm sure accounted in large part for why we had so many artists. And good ones, truthfully, like a a pretty awesome slate in that gallery of artists. Yes, I would have preferred more consistency within Mm -hmm. each arc. But that's not a knock yeah. on any of the artists. I agree with you. I, I don't know that there was really any artist whose whose work I didn't like. It was just that I didn't love jumping from artist to artist within one six-part story. But I think that was a necessary yeah. evil if they wanted to pump this book out as frequently as they did. Yeah, I agree. And I think coming out of New 52, they were ready to do anything they could to – like we better do two months, two times a month to get people back because it was it was pretty rough. Right. So that's the period of time we're talking about. The New 52 has ended. We have now entered the rebirth era, the return of hope and optimism to the DC universe. Wally West has returned and with him the heart of the DC universe as as they mm-hmm. build it. And so this run in particular, we're looking at the 2016 Superman series issues one through 45. There was also the Superman rebirth special that preceded it, as well as a Superman special that wrapped it up. I also took a look at the the short story that uh, Tomasi and Gleason did in Action 1000. So that's primarily what we're looking at. We we purposely excluded the Reborn crossover with Action Comics because I talked about mm-hmm. that last week with Scott when we looked at the Action Run. Though when we get there, Bernie, if there's anything that you want to share about that, feel free. But we did cover that last time. 
So before I give my take, my big picture take, I want to toss it to you first. And I want, to, I want to ask you basically what I asked Scott last week about the action run. Did you read this as it was coming out? And how did the reading experience differ reading it then versus rereading it for this podcast? What were the what were your takeaways? I I am one of those fans that even when the content is not great, I will continue to push through. I, I am not the fair weather. I don't like what they're doing with Superman. I'm not going to buy the books. I'm not going to read anymore. So when we hit New 52, that was hard. Um, I pull, pushed through, continue to read. When we got to Rebirth, I was super excited for what they were moving towards. I continued to read, and I read it every time it came out. Um, I think that reading it when it came out, because of the span of time it puts in between when I'm reading the issues, it felt very fresh. It felt very good. It was quality. I love the team that they had on there. And it was a breath of fresh air. Comma. However, um, when you read them back to back in trade format, uh, a few of the trades, a few of the arcs, they are five or four issues that could be done in two. Um, it, it, it really did plot. It really did drag. I found myself having a hard time pushing through some of the trades, but I still found a ton of nuggets of awesome character traits, awesome shifts from of tone, of where they were going with the character that we haven't seen in a while. Um, that lent it really great for us to talk about tonight. So, All right, fair enough. I... I don't want to rehash the entire episode, you know, that I did last week, but there there are certain things that carry over. Like I said last time about the Jurgens run and I would now include the Tomasi and Gleason run in that as well. I I 100% understand why someone reading this at the time in 2016 after enduring the new 52, if you didn't like the new 52, and then later knowing what would come with with Bendis, right, for people who didn't enjoy Bendis, I understand why this run probably holds a very special place and and why it felt like a return to form for the character and a return to the version of Lois and Clark that we knew, but also now in new territory as parents, which I think is a wonderful angle. So again, especially for people who read it as it was coming out, I really get the appeal of it. Reading it in a vacuum, like I did now, and like I said last time, I had read maybe the first dozen issues as they were coming out. I had this little experiment where I was dabbling in monthly comics again for a period of time, and I had this on my list. And I I did like it, but I ultimately decided to switch back to trade. And then, of course, years went by, and I never finished it. And it was always on the list. Mm -hmm. And it was always one of those runs that I heard nothing but, but amazing things about. And I think that it created expectations that were really too high. I think that has a lot to do with it. So... Overall, there was a lot that I did like about this run, and I love these creators. I cannot stress this enough. I mean, I'm a big, yeah. big fan of Tomasi and Gleason, and I appreciate so much of what they did. But in the end, just like with the Jurgens run, I, I there was a measure of disappointment. I did not enjoy this run as much as I thought I would and as much as I wanted to. And I recognize I'm probably in the minority out there, and I want to actually give a shout out. There's a fellow Superman podcaster out there. He does a show called Truth, Justice, and Hope. And he's going issue by issue through these Rebirth comics. And he loves it. Wow. 
And that's okay. great. So for anyone who is like, I can't believe Anthony and Bernie, they're really in love with this run. You know, there, there, there are others out there who, who maybe feel the yeah. way you do. And I know we'll give the run a fair shake. And again, I really want to stress, I didn't hate it, but it definitely did not live up to the expectation that I had for it. And I am with you. There were definitely trades where it, it was a little bit, I mean, a little bit of a chore to get through, and it definitely felt like it, stories could have been told in in less issues. And and like you said, if you're reading it month to month, maybe you're not clocking that as much. But when you read them one right after another, it sort of becomes a little bit more pronounced. You know, and I wonder if like, you know, we gave each other a reading assignment and you're doing that in a certain amount of time. I wonder if, you know, if you're if you're going to the library and you find these and they have all seven volumes, if you're not tasked to read all seven within a certain time frame and you say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to do number one and delve a little bit more into it. Maybe it might not have been such a hard reread, I think, for us. Um, I, I took a ton of notes, as usual, and everything from quotes that I really love from this. Pan, there are some panels that you don't really see a lot, which I think was really kind of cool about some of the things that Gleason did well and Mankey did, and even Ivan Reese is in there. Um, there's there's plenty of good we're going to talk about tonight, so I think we we don't we don't have to warn the listeners too much. We're gonna you're gonna hear some positives that that will tell you let's go do this and let's read. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, just to I guess elaborate a, a little bit more. I, like I said, there's a lot that I enjoyed. I love Clark as a father. No surprise here. I always talk about how fatherhood, my own fatherhood has impacted the way I look at these stories. And so I love that aspect. I love that the mythology has been moved forward in an organic and meaningful way. So that's fantastic. I love the setting on the farm. It's not Smallville, but as, as a diehard Smallville fan, I love this setting for the Kent family. I think that's, that's wonderful. And there are some really you know beautiful quiet character moments i teared mm-hmm. up a bit uh during the superman 45 the the finale issue oh. where they're packing up yeah. the the farm so there were wonderful moments like that i guess and maybe this was just an unrealistic expectation on my part i guess i was hoping slash expecting a little bit a little bit more of that and i found like a lot of the stories were were very action packed but i didn't mm-hmm. have as many of those more meaningful moments that I guess I thought I was going to get. There was a lot that I thought was really cool in concept, but maybe not so much in execution. And finally, Mm -hmm. the last thing I'll say before we get a little bit more specific into this is (laughs) I really think the Superman and Lois TV show has spoiled me Mm. in a big way, especially when it comes to the parenting aspect because what we're getting on that show you know there you have two two sons not just one and they're older and that opens up all of these other issues and i feel like the show and i, I know i spoke spoken at length about superman and lois and i will continue to because I, I love it so much yeah but what i love about that show is that the tension within the family is it, it never overlooks the fact that there's this bedrock of love and trust between mm-hmm. them all but there is very believable tension from the pilot when the boys find out that Lois and Clark have been keeping this huge secret from them to John's emerging powers to Jonathan struggling with not having all of that, yeah. uh, them keeping the secret. I feel like they've mined that so well and they've done it in a way that feels 
very, very real and nuanced and, and emotional. And I, I read this run and, you know, John's 10 and it's, it's a different medium. And I guess it just didn't scratch that that itch for me in the same way that the show did. And that's not a failing of the comic, but at the same right. time, that's the context that I'm coming in with. That's the perspective. So maybe that helps shine some light on why I wasn't maybe as in love with this as people were when they were reading this for the first time. And this was at the time, the first and only instance of Lois and Clark in this parenting role. Yeah. So number 45 is, is titled truth, justice, family. And that really should be the overarching like subtitle for Superman and Lois. Like, I, I really think that you can't have the first two without the third in that show. Like there is tension because it's real. They don't treat it. It's not, it's not a hokey Hallmark family. It's a very real family with real stuff they're dealing with, but there's the underlying thing of, we will always stick together even when things get hard, um, which I think makes it honest. I think it makes it, what you hope for. Like Superman is always stood for hope. So Superman and Lois should give you hope of what a family could be. Even though we don't always get that in your own families or when you look at the news or across America, but it's, it's realistic in a sense that they're real issues, but it's allowed, it allows us to continue to go. I want to strive for that. I want to, I, I would love to be like that. I want to be like Superman and his family even when they go through hard stuff. Um, when you talked last episode with Scott, did you cover the road to rebirth Superman, Lois and Clark trade? Yes. Not in incredible depth, but yes, we did talk right. about it. So good. So if, I mean, the listeners, if you're going to read this stuff, I, they have to read that first. I really feel that they really need to read that trade or that set to understand why this is important that Lois and Clark and John are here um, and how, what, how they've been brought back from another, another multiverse or another, another version after convergence, which is cool. Um, that was that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, what you said yet. I haven't listened to the episode, but that Lois and Clark trait actually stands as something really important to my Superman collection. I think that's a big jump back onto the right path for what Superman needs to be in the 21st century. So while I was not so hot on the Jurgens run overall for reasons that we mm -hmm. talked about, that was one of my very favorite stories that he did in that period of time. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that cool. for sure. One, nice. other, one other big picture question that I wanted to ask you, a, a personal one, if you don't mind. You are a yeah. father, as we've as we've talked about, as am I. I'm just curious, especially reading this Tomasi Gleason run, were there were there instances in which scenes or moments or stories call to mind your own experiences as a dad? So let's see, how old is John in this supposed ten. to be? Is he 10? Gosh, like, I don't, it's it's not, it's not a normal, I guess it's not a really normal question. Like, hey, have you ever had any instances where you were super and your son didn't get it? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so my daughter's never had an issue with dad's secret identity. Like, oh, is, he's a band director. I wonder if he's a superhero also. Um it's one of the things that I really loved about this run, though, because that the added uh, the added layer of the sun and having a kid and that tension that comes with how would a real kid react if their dad was Superman? Like he's not happy about it all the time. 
Like you think at a certain point, like, wow, this is so cool. My dad's Superman or my dad's superhero. It comes with a lot of stuff. It comes with a lot of baggage. It comes with a lot of pain and absence. And he can't always be the dad you want him to be there. Um, I'd say the only connection I have is the jobs that I have as a teacher, uh, working at the, my, my church on the weekends, and sometimes even working and helping out the comic book store, finding that balance so that I'm still very present in my girls' lives, that becomes hard, you know? And I remember like when my kids were young, they were like four or five, and one of my good friends from Atlanta visited. Um, we were driving past my high school, and my daughter goes, oh, that's daddy's home. And <laughs> and he's like, dude, your daughter should not be calling school where you live. And I was like, oh. So that was a big redirection where, similar to Superman, Superman can't just be home all the time. He's got a job. He has to do what he needs to do to, to support not just his family, but the world. And um, that's the only connection I can make where sometimes my daughters went, man, I wish dad was around this time. I want to play, but I know he's got to go do his job. And I know you're going to get to that point too. So, but that's, that's the only connection I can see. And that's one of the reasons I think I really enjoyed reading this run because there are those parallels. Like John's a real kid. And that's why I like how they wrote John. They didn't write him necessarily as a super kid all the time. They wrote him as a kid who deals with kid emotions. Yes. Yeah, no, very true. And you know, my son's only two and a half, so I, you know, don't have the experience of a parenting a ten-year-old or or on Superman and Lois teenagers, right? Uh, so we'll see when we get to that point. But you know, the only things that that really kind of jumped out at me, little just little things in the first arc when maybe it's even the first issue when John falls from the tree branch mm. and he hurts himself, and the, you know the, his invulnerability is sort of you know, right. in and out, and they're not quite sure what's going on with that, and just that that fear. So, you know, anytime Milo has fallen down, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's that instant panic. It's the worst feeling. So that was something that definitely resonated. We also, in addition to the Superman run, you and I also did read Tomasi and Gleason's first arc on Batman and Robin. Now for anyone who follows on social media, I had initially, I had (laughs) lofty ambitions of covering both runs in their entirety, but ultimately felt it was better to really focus on Superman, but to at least read their first arc, Born to Kill, mm-hmm. on Batman and Robin, just for basis of comparison. And man, I enjoyed that. I was really glad that we at least read the first arc. I I have, I think, four other volumes of the arc in my collection, like as trades, and I'm now going to read those. I, I truly loved it. It's For those who don't know, it's, it's so it's 2011. So we're looking at five years prior to Rebirth. And what's really cool about this arc is you see you see Bruce really struggling with being a dad with Damien. And Damien is hard. Damien is damaged and lots of decision making of whether he's going to be a good person or an evil person. Um, and it's cool because you can see, even if you haven't read the entire Batman and Robin arc all the way through, you can see in the Super Sons first volume of this rebirth that Damien, I mean, don't forget Tomasi wrote both. And you definitely see the growth where Damien is now more calm. He's still, he's still got an edge, which we love, but I don't think the Damien from 2011 Batman and Robin would have gelled well with John Kent. 
Agreed. That is a good point. I, I, I got a lot out of that run. I thought that mm-hmm. when we, and again, our focus will be Superman, but I, just to stay on this for a minute, first of all, as far as, as identifying, you know, there's the scene deep into the arc where, uh, the villain, nobody, the son of, yeah. of Henri Oof. Ducard. Yeah. Has Damien and Batman's, uh, over the, over the com link. And, uh, you know, more, uh, nobody is breaking Damien's bones. And he, and he says to Bruce, mm-hmm. like, you're going to listen to your son break. And oh, it yeah. was gut wrenching. It's devastating. devastating. Yeah. It was hard to read like that. And I had read that arc before years ago and I, I suspect it elicited a reaction even then, but now mm-hmm. it, it really, it just, it, it tears your heart out. So, but, and, and then in addition to that, going back to this idea of tension, I thought that in Batman and Robin, it was the tension was so believable and so effective because mm-hmm. here you have, like you said, a, a son who's been bred to kill. Mm-hmm. That's his purpose, raised by the League of Assassins, and then you have Batman who's made this solemn vow to never take a life. So it it instantly right. puts them at odds. And unlike Clark, who takes very naturally to the role of the paternal figure, Bruce does not. Yes, he has yeah. mentored and trained all these kids, but not in a paternal fatherly way. So there's that instant friction, but it feels very believable. And the villain, nobody, really brought those issues to the forefront because his whole deal is that he believes villains should be punished to the fullest extent, <laughs> i.e. Yeah. kill them. Yeah. So I thought that, again, as far as the, the tension between father and son, I thought that that arc really, really did a great job. I, I enjoyed that a lot. I, I do plan to continue the run uh, as well. Mm-hmm. It's definitely for readers just – fans of the DC characters, I would go back and at least read volume one of Batman and Robin. I mean, and not just nobody is rough. It's, it's not just believes we should kill them. Believes we should dangle them over a vat of acid and waste them away to nothing. It is so, it was disturbing to be honest, reading that. And then just, I got torn up having kids imagining what if I was like, in a car and I'm not there yet. But then like the Batmobile just demolishes that wall and comes out of nowhere. It's pretty intense. It's, it's a great, great read. I would, and and the art is gorgeous. It's amazing. And it was once a month and we were able to have all eight issues in the, I have the hardcover and all eight issues drawn by Gleason. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book and very, like you said, very intense and very compelling. And, not to spin this into a positive, but I think that was again, another instance, <laughs> but no, I just feel like that was another instance of sort of comparing the, the Superman run to something that I found yeah. more gripping again, whether it was the Batman and Robin arc or Superman and Lois. So just to sort of put this in, into context for people, I think that that was sort of how I was, I was coming into this. I think, I think ultimately I, I hate sounding this way, but I ultimately think the Superman rebirth run was going to be softer than the Batman and Robin Tomasi run. Sure. Like just from a sheer uh, world building concept of where Gotham versus Hamilton is not the same. <laughs> um, can we, are, do you want to segue into, cause you, we, we brought up Gleason now. Um, can we talk a little bit about another one of the positives is the art across the course of the rebirth. Yeah. Uh, Superman stuff. Um, I have never been from before reading this, a big fan of Doug 
I, I believe it's pronounced Mankey's um, art on Superman in that in a Joe Kelly and like the earlier stuff, it always seemed very rigid, very etched. I didn't, I didn't love, it, it didn't seem round enough to me. He did a number of JLA uh, arcs too uh, with the, I couldn't remember whether it was the Grant Morrison or the, the Mark Wade stuff, but Joe Kelly. I, oh, it was Joe Kelly's good. Yeah. So again, I didn't love it reading this. I think it's been really cool. Every artist grows and changes and shifts based on what they do and what they work on. I really found myself surprised at how much I love Doug's work, paralleling the differences between Patrick Leeson's work. How did you feel about the art? Tell me a little bit about what you think. Same, to be honest. Like yourself, I, I've i sort of had an arc in terms of my appreciation for Mankey's art where I think I felt similarly to you in the past. What I've what I've come to recognize is I'm sure his style has evolved as he's grown in his craft, but I also think, and I would really have to go back and, and take a closer look, but I, I think the, the inkers he's worked with, I think that may have oh, played a role in this as well. Uh, I feel like in the past, maybe he was working with inkers with, I don't know, it's like a heavier or thicker line or like something like that. I, I feel yeah. like... Or maybe it's just that his own style has changed. I'm not sure. But I definitely have found myself enjoying his work far more now when we're looking at, mm. at his more recent work than I did in the past. So, like I said, as much as I really wish that they had even, like, alternated arcs, <laughs> and I said this when we did the Jurgens episode, too, I don't love I don't love bouncing between artists within an arc. Right. It kind of irks me. But uh, if, we're, if we're going to have to do that, yeah, I, I was really right. happy to, to see him whenever he popped up. Well, and you got Jorge Jimenez, you have Ivan Reese. I mean, it it was a good if if we had a bounce, I was happy those are who we were bouncing back and forth from. It was really pretty to read and look at. Um, I'm one of those people that like for example, and there's a new book that just came out. It's a new world of Krypton series. Mm-hmm. I was so excited about who was writing it and what it was I just could not get into the art. I'm one of those people that I I need to have an artist that I really love for the book to hit me. Um, Patrick Gleason, I've just loved his stuff. I've met him at shows. He's also just the coolest dude. Um, He is so chill, so kind, loves to talk, um, loves to do sketch work for you and that kind of stuff too. But um, Pat Gleason's work, I, I wrote it down somewhere that I wanted to tell you like why I really enjoyed it. Hold on. I, I wrote it. So he has this vibe that is, so Ed McGinnis, who I love, has this like full on cartooning vibe. Okay. Jurgens has like a throwback to kind of some, a little bit of bronze. We see late eighties, nineties. Gleason finds a way to go like right in the middle. Like, it's it's still a little comic strippy, but it's still very classic looking. It's not too full and round and odd, but it's so great. I just I've always loved what he does with not just Superman. I love how he draws Lois. I love how he draws the the Superman family in general, like the characters. Um, there's just a certain approach to it that I will I would anything I see him do, I'm going to pick up. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you and. 
And on top of the art, he was also co-writing these stories with yes. with with Tomasi, and even to the point where I think issue forty five, they're both credited with the story, but Gleason is credited yeah. with the words uh, along yeah. with the art. So it, it's so cool to see him take on that role as well. And I know he's continued writing on subsequent projects. I think he's doing Spider Man now. Yeah, yeah, he shifted into Marvel. So very very cool. So let's talk about the first arc. Son of Superman. And I guess even before that, we have the Rebirth special that's tidying up some of the business of the the New 52 world where the New 52 Superman has died. I, and this will come as no surprise, I suspect you felt similarly given your love of, our shared love of the death of Superman. (laughs) I, I like that they used our Clark's death as sort of the jumping off point and framing device for, for Clark. He, brings the remains of the new 52 Superman to his fortress because he's been through this. He's died and come back. So the idea that, you know, he's waiting for a return, which of course we know is not going to happen, but I thought that was, again, especially loving the death of Superman. I thought that was a cool way to, to get into the story and thematically ties in with the whole rebirth idea. Well, and especially because this Superman is that Superman, Mm -hmm. like the one that died in our era that we love in 93 this is that Clark Kent from that dimension, from that verse. Um, so he's going to go, hey, it worked this time. Let me try again. And then just sadden that, no, it's it's not how it works. Um, yeah, so okay, I, I, have, I, have some, I have very few notes on the first arc. I, I, I really love it, though. But I, I really enjoy the Batman Wonder Woman showing up because um, – Anytime somebody's in a show from a different dimension or a different universe, there's going to be concern that are they the Clark that we want them to be? Are they the Superman that we should be teaming with or should we be afraid of? Um, But I really did enjoy that interaction between the two of them. I think that was solid. They were insecure, but then felt good about it. And one woman, as usually, has to kind of walk Bruce off the ledge a little bit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was a nice I, I like that we we saw that early on in the arc because then we had the yeah. nice circular ending where initially Clark keeps John inside, right? And yeah. then at the end of the arc he brings him out and, and introduces them, which is really nice. This was not our homework, but I was just curious, did you read the Trinity series, especially the beginning part that was coming out during Rebirth? Is that the Matt Wagner Trinity or was that? Oh, no, that was the actual Francis, Rebirth. Yeah, the Francis Manipole uh, series. No, I did not. I, that's kind of, that's one of the, that's actually a gap in mine because I usually get anything Superman's in, but I was like, I just can't, I couldn't get <laughs> too many things. Um, did you, how, how did you enjoy it? You know, I've only read a little bit of it. It was relatively short lived. I, mm-hmm. and I can't remember, it might've started a little bit into rebirth or maybe it started at the beginning and it ended early. Uh, I've read the issues, uh, V Ken Marion drew a, a number of issues. So I've read those, yeah. those came later after Manipole had left. He was writing and drawing the book for the first, I don't know, 10 or 12 issues or so. Okay. Uh, and I, I liked the little bit that I read, but I mean, I didn't continue with it. So I guess that is another little, <laughs> as much as I said, I've closed the rebirth gap. There's still little pockets <laughs> here and there, but it, you know, and we, Scott and I talked about this last time, there was this weird bifurcation almost in, in, in this era where for the beginning part before Superman reborn, mm-hmm. you had our Superman from the post-crisis pre flashpoint world basically on the new 52 earth. And then after reborn, those versions of Lois and Clark are merged. So for the beginning part, you have this 
this dynamic where they know, like you said, he's from another dimension and they, they don't know if they can trust him initially. So uh, I guess your mileage will vary as far as how effective you thought that was. But <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the world that we're working with. But yeah, I, I definitely like the the, you know, sort of the parallels between the beginning and the end with with him introducing right. John. I mean, the first arc. The the big parts of the first arc is we we see the Eradicator again, which is a nice throwback too for those fans of that Superman from that verse. Um, great great things like we got a fight on the moon. They're like beating the crap out of each other on the moon. Um, Lois is in the Hellbat suit, which was kind of great. I thought it was something different that you don't get usually get to see. Um, there's a line in there too that I, I mean I'm a huge Star Wars fan and and. It was like John needs you to be as Obi-Wan was a line in there that I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool throw in. Um, my favorite, I know this is going to be weird to be favorite, but we brought back Bibbo Babowski. Yeah. Like that was like, that's a little tiny cameos. I was like, oh, now, you know, that Tomas and Gleason are fans of the same era that we love too. And they're like, well, let's put Bibbo back in there and see what happens. Um, so I, I enjoyed that kind of stuff, but it's not a super big arc but it's got some cool battles in it with the eradicator yeah i i definitely liked i enjoyed the bibbo cameo and i enjoyed this take on the eradicator which i'll get back to in a second i really enjoyed the first couple of issues and i thought that that gave us again that tension that we were talking about where uh you know they're they're in in hiding and you know that's creating its own stress within the family particularly for John. Uh, and, you know, we do have this scene where he's with, you know, Kathy, the the, the neighbor, and they're on the tree right. and, and he falls. And that leads Clark to take him to the fortress. And then that's when we, we, we meet uh, the Eradicator. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the beginning part. I guess I felt like once we got to the Eradicator portion of the story, you know, it was a lot of action. And yeah. like you said, there was cool stuff like Lois getting in on it and the Hellbats too. Like that was really cool. But I felt like, again, those those quieter moments that I was enjoying early yeah. on kind of just gave way to the action. And I guess it's just a matter of taste. I, I am not as interested in that, yeah. I suppose. I much preferred the more, you know, character driven family moments. So that's where that arc lost me a little bit. Well, and it's funny you say that. So like. Me and Joe at all, yeah, like we'll talk about like fun pitches. Like if you had to do, if you if you were tasked by DC to write a story for Superman, what would you write? Or for this character, what would you do just for fun? And I do find myself, I don't automatically gravitate to the Superman battling insert the villain. I kind of really enjoy Superman as Clark dealing with Earth issues, like family issues. Or honestly, and we talked about this in the Bronze Age a little bit too, humanity issues, like stuff that our world needs to fix that we maybe could use a little help from a Superman. Um, and, and we'll talk about this later. There's some issues that really touch on this nicely. But I think that's one of the reasons I do like the Tomasi Gleason run, because we do get more of that flavor than we definitely had on the New 52 or even right before it if throughout the 2000s. Um this is what it, this this first arc will be an example though of my complaint like why Netflix shows or HBO shows do better than network TV where network TV is like 23 episodes 
Netflix and HBO go, no, no, 10's fine. Um, this was a six-part arc that could have been three, maybe four. Um, but again, I think it might be taste. I think it could be us going, eh, we don't really need all the spirits of Krypton coming back. <laughs> like That was a whole extra issue we didn't need. Just have it end with the Eradicator and, and, and close it up in issue four. Yeah, sure. And like, and that's the thing, you know, people might be perfectly happy with the flow of this arc and the balance between the the action and and the quieter moments. I think that I realized this pretty late in the game, but I was like, you know, there's not a ton of narration. No, in these stories, very little, in fact. And I think that's something. And for longtime listeners, you know, that was that was the thing when I went back to the lobe the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era mm-hmm. in particular, those Jeff Loeb issues, even if the stories weren't the best, they were they were all narrated by someone from the supporting cast. And it gave you some right. cool insight into how they saw Clark and or Superman. And I think that's in large part actually like was kind of missing for me because even if I'm not so invested in the action, I'm curious what's going through the mind of Clark or John or Lois. And I guess you could argue through their actions you're seeing that, but I, I, that might be a little generous in, in certain instances. I think that would have gone a long way for me towards balancing that out a little bit. And I realized that I was thinking about it today. I was like, oh, we're going to talk about it. And I was like, you know, I feel like that was for me, like a big thing that was missing. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think it would have been really cool to to hear Lois's take, like hear her tone telling the story as we watch Superman and John deal with this in real time. Yeah, that would have been perfect. And also because, you know, Lois, Lois has plenty to do, but yeah. a lot of the the big moments and especially those, the parenting moments, a lot of them are Clark and John. So to yeah. get Lois's voice in there more, if she's the one sort of taking us through the story, I think that would have been, I would think that would have been cool. Going back to the beginning though of the story, we have this, the sequence where uh, a hawk swoops down. Yeah. And makes a move for the the uh, the cat Goldie and John's heat vision goes awry and he fries the cat. And yeah. la- I have a few things to say about this cuz later in the arc there's a moment where Crypto seems like he's a goner when he's absorbed by the eradicator. Thankfully Crypto yeah. makes it out. And then reading the Batman and Robin arc, Damian kills a bat. So I'm saying to myself I was like what Tomasi's got a thing with animals. <laughs> yeah, he's not <laughs> Pete is not going to be loving that. There's going to be a lot of animal activists not happy. I was surprised. Re- I forgot about that. Like the cat is just like Christmas vacation, like toast. Like, I, yeah, I, I think it was interesting because he was also really torn up. Yes. And that was really important to see that, again, what would a reg- what would a 10-year-old deal with if fire came out of his eyes? And and roasted his favorite pet. Right. Like, it's not normal. <laughs> like so I, I, I think they handled it well, but but it was it was still odd. Yeah, but so here's where I, I actually liked it. I didn't like what happened to the cat, but no, for the course. record. But I liked <laughs> but I liked that inner turmoil that it yeah. elicits. And and it speaks to what we saw on Smallville and in Man of Steel and on Superman and yep. Lois. It's a painful, confusing process for these powers to emerge. It's a confusing time for anyone at that age as they're changing, but especially yeah. dealing with that. And 
I think that's a you know modern spin on this that is very relevant and, and resonant. People can can understand what you know how how challenging that might be to go through something like that. Where I I really had an issue, and I know I'm jumping way ahead. To, well, not that far ahead, but I'm jumping ahead a few arcs to Black Dawn. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to get your take on this because we find out in that arc, in addition to the fact that Hamilton County is not just this peaceful little community but it's this safe haven for these alien refugees which right. we talked about that too but we also find out that manchester black is back and pulling strings including wreaking havoc with john's powers yeah before i guess you could probably tell where i'm going with this how did you feel about that it felt kind of dirty like it just like you're messing with a kid. That was weird. Like that was borderline kind of like mental abuse. Um, like, like if you, I don't know how I'd explain it. Like the same ickiness you feel about a, a person that kidnaps kids. Like I, that started to kind of come into play where he's, he's legitimately playing really weird head games with John and, and messing with him physically, like there was something just icky is a good way to, I think for me to say it, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, neither did I, I guess I didn't, I didn't go specifically there, although your point is well taken. I, I think for me, it, what kind of bugged me was to sort of, I guess, absolve John of mm-hmm. frying Goldie. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that was the right choice because it's. I, I think it's more interesting if this is something that he has to grapple with and he learns the lesson that he has to be careful about his powers. And this is going to sound nitpicky, but whatever. Early in the Black Dawn arc, Batman shows up at the at the farm, and mm-hmm. I really did like. Is that? I think that unless I'm confusing this with one of the earlier stories, I think that's the one where uh, like Bruce and Damien are in the barn. And like they're having mm-hmm. this clandestine meeting, and then Lois is like, "What are you doing?" And like they all go into the kitchen. Oh, that was a fun moment. Yeah. But but Bruce is like, you know, I've studied, you know, I've studied John, and you know, with his half human, half Kryptonian genome, you know, he should be much more powerful than you. And I was saying yeah. to myself, look, I'm not a geneticist. Maybe I'm missing something very obvious. But why would him being half human? <laughs> mean I don't that? see that at all. It would yeah, be no. the opposite. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't get. I think that. he'd be weaker. He would be weaker. Like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I, that did throw me as odd because I didn't understand where the science would be with that one. If anything, he'd be less super. <laughs> so, yes, again, not a scientist. Maybe I'm missing something, yeah. but, but anyway, that is, I, that's the scene that I love though. That says, I believe Damien says, Batman doesn't eat pie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's just really funny because it would be natural. Like, come on in, have a piece of pie. It's like, the, the dude's wearing a cowl and a black cape dresses a bat. Like, I just don't see him sitting down like, Oh, strawberry rhubarb. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. But that was a, that was a very humorous scene. Uh, again, the science yeah. aside, but I didn't love Manchester black. I didn't love that. He was responsible for these power fluctuations because I think it's, it's believable enough that the powers are fluctuating on their own due to the fact that he's this human Kryptonian hybrid. That's enough. Yeah. That's the way Superman and Lois played it. And I thought it worked really well. And then it, it does create that, that inner tension. And, and I think that yeah. works fine. You don't need that external force. So I thought that cheapened it. Also, you know, one of Manchester's big, big plays is 
it's still the same, still the same mo, right? He not mm-hmm. just like Mister, you know, nope, not Mister, but just like nobody in uh, uh in the Batman and Robin arc believes that Superman doesn't go far enough, and of course made his debut in the in the famous now classic Action Seven Seventy Five. What's so funny about right. truth, truth, justice, and the American way? But now, rather than trying to convince Superman, now he's targeting John. And, hmm. you know, ickiness aside, the fact that he's trying now to – he's given up on trying to change Clark's mind, but now he wants to try to sway the next generation. That aspect was okay, but he's back to his same bag of tricks. You know, he, he makes yeah. John see Lois lose her leg. Right. Which very recently on the podcast, I, I covered the Joe Kelly run on action, and we reread the ending battle arc. And Manchester does a very similar thing there. He makes Clark see Lois die, and he thinks that it's it's yeah. real and it's to, it's to test him. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like, all right, like been there, done that was sort of my feeling with Manchester in that. I just thought we were, I just thought we were done with Manchester Black. <laughs> I, I think he, I just thought it was in seven seventy five. That was a really cool shift in tone. And how Superman dealt with it at the end and where he goes, like, done. But I just don't know what more we can get from from Manchester Black, except for very similar to what we see in, like, the Superman and the Authority stuff that's just recently been happening now in the new, the very newest runs of Superman and Action Comics. Um, I, I just don't see why he's super relevant or needed here. I don't think it's a great villain. I think we've seen it before. Agreed. I was not, I was not thrilled when I turned the page and I saw this. Right. I was like, oh, all right. Conversely, now uh, on a positive note, I did like this new spin on the Eradicator. Going back to the Song yes. of Superman arc, and to your earlier point about ways in which the Superman and Lois writers may have taken their cues from mm-hmm. from this period of comics in particular. Yeah, this is an Eradicator who uh, is able to absorb Kryptonian souls. So, what did you think about that? Yeah. Well, it, I'm reading it going, this looks like Morgan Edge. <laughs> like, like the, <laughs> even how he's, even, it's just weird. He's obviously came out before, but I'm looking at the art and even, it, it looks it looks a little like that actor, like from Superman and Lois. It was interesting. It, it came off as very supernatural versus very scientific. Like that Krypton that eradicator was very science driven, very genetics driven, like perfection in genes. Um, and for that weird soul sucking thing, like it just seemed like an odd shift. It, it went very magical spirits, supernatural that I, I wasn't ready for. And that's why, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dig it as much. That's why I was like, just stop. Just no, don't do issue five. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Again, that's my opinion, everybody. You just that's just no, I, I love the Eradicator character without all that. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of of two minds. I'm a little torn on this because in the Jurgens episode I talked about how, like Manchester Black, I wasn't all that thrilled with Doomsday's return in Jurgens' mm-hmm. inaugural arc. For a lot of the same reasons we just mentioned with Manchester. It's like, you know, very effective the first time. Right. Kind of hard to do much with them moving forward. <laughs> no. Yeah. And so with the Eradicator, I guess it, it begs the question if they had brought back the more traditional version of the Eradicator that, you know, you and I are familiar with, right? This Kryptonian right. device that ultimately then took on human form or humanoid form as opposed to 
I guess the angle in this was that the Eradicators were this like army of robots that were that were created and programmed on Krypton. Yeah. Yes. And then ultimately fused into this into this one being with the right. with the ability to absorb the, the souls. I wasn't I wasn't thinking the supernatural angle, but you're right. It did have more of that flair. This is where. And they had the benefit of hindsight. Like, that's the thing. But I feel like the Superman and Lois writers took the best yes. of this, the idea. And they, they didn't they didn't frame it so much in terms of souls, which I, I do agree gives it more of that supernatural uh, vibe and went more yeah. with consciousness. Right. Right. And they were transplanting minds into the humans' bodies. And it's it, – and you kind of started to see this in the CW Supergirl stuff where you see like the artificial intelligence of like Supergirl's mom is in the crystal kind of deal. Right. Um, and that even harkens back as far as the Donner stuff with, you know, Jor-El and Lara being inside the crystals. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. The Superman and Lois show went, I like this. Mm, no, like, and they, they, they found a good happy medium, I think. And, and that's what, that's why it worked in the show. I think for sure. Let's take a quick break and then we will continue our discussion. We'll be right back. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Established in 83, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They are ready and excited to assist you in navigating the wide world of comics. In addition to weekly new releases, graphic novels, and merchandise, they pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available. All offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out these festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Event details and submission info can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the fests on social media for updates on discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts has been a guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance on your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor. And we're back. So we talked about the inaugural arc of the run by Tomasi and Gleason on the Superman title. One last quick thing, just to jump back to that Rebirth special for a minute. I didn't mention this and I yeah. wanted to. I really liked that Clark took note of how the new 52 Clark had honored both sets of parents oh, in the yeah. fortress. That was a nice touch. And then our Clark adds the new 52 Superman to that lineup of statues. I thought that was yeah. a, a very nice moment. So moving forward, uh, so I read this in trade paperback form. Is that what you did as well? Same. Yep. All right. So volume two is titled Trials of the Super Sun. And we start off with this one off at the Hamilton County Fair. 
I love, you know, we got a couple of issues in this run. This one, and in particular, the finale, number 45, where the Kent family yeah. goes. To, I, those were some of my favorite issues. I, I really enjoy That's like what I wanted. That's what I wanted more of, but I, I enjoyed that here. I, that's, I am totally with you. I, I know that sounds so lame as like a super, super man fan. It's like, I really just wanted to go to the carnival. That's all. <laughs> like, like, I don't know why. Like Clark and Lois and John sitting on the Ferris wheel brings me such joy. I don't know. Or just playing games together. I, th- I think it's just the family side of it. I think it's the, the real life side of it. That just was fun. It's. I know I keep mentioning Superman and Lois, but I, it's. I mean, I feel like it's very germane to our conversation here. I remember seeing reviews. I think on IMDb uh, for some, especially some of the early episodes of Superman and Lois, and in particular, some people complaining that there wasn't enough Superman action. And that's like never a complaint I would have there. And I know I said this when I did the Superman and Lois episode, but there was one like very early on where there were only like a couple of scenes of him in costume, and it's like I yeah. didn't miss it, but. I do understand that that's that's a major aspect of the story and that spectacle in particular, and even more so when we're talking the comics. I think you can get away with a little bit more, you know, on an hour long drama on television yeah. as opposed to the comics. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't need a ton of action, you know, to be honest. No. As long as you know, as long as it's not boring, and I don't find those those family scenes boring. But it was cool to see the family at the fair, and you know, Clark making this promise not to use his powers, and then he right. uh, overhears the um, you know those those thieves planning to uh, you know make off with the uh, admission money, and he takes care of them <laughs> quietly. And you get to meet some of the other townspeople who will yes play a role later on. While we're here, let me jump back to the Black Dawn arc. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Oh, so let me, again, man, I really, I did not like, I didn't really care for this take that the neighbors, Kathy and her grandfather and the science teacher and the mayor and like the police chief, they were all these alien refugees um, and their ship was plugging a dimensional rift and preventing these monsters from coming through. I I don't know. What was your take on that? I, I like the idea if it was a few, like if it was. I really actually enjoyed the Frankenstein issues where I forget was she the worked at the bank or something or the editor of something mm. where where basically she's a, a villain that Frankenstein is is basically trying to like an invader he's trying to catch. I, I would I think I would have enjoyed it if it wasn't like the whole like the majority of the town are aliens. Like it's a little too X Files for me. Um, if it was a few key people, like I, I could have seen the, they, they started planting seed, like seeds with the grandpa, like, uh, there's something wrong with Cobb. Like he's not a regular grandpa. He seems he's protective, but there's something odd. Like the, like the weird blink in his eye every now and then you'd see, um, like we were saying, I didn't, I didn't love all of this, man. Like it was, it was like gl- glimmers of like, Oh, that's cool. Oh, they went that way. Like there, there's a lot of that throughout every single one of the story arcs. I don't feel there was any one that I went that was solid. I think there was glimmers of awesome hope inside each of them and really cool tales. Um, but I actually really liked the single issues, the one-offs more than the actual stories arcs themselves. Same here. Although I don't know, I have a feeling you and I are going to differ when we get to the, the Kent family road trip issues oh but maybe we'll <laughs> oh yeah that was a that was a little too 
We'll get to that. All right. Maybe we won't diverge too much. No, but it's I fine think if we do. I, <laughs> no, 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 no. I I know where you're going. I'm a little in agreement. It was I felt like it should have come with the recording of the national anthem. Yeah. Well, look, we, like, we don't have to go chronologically. Why don't we just talk about yeah. it while we're here? Because it is I, I do think it's a natural. I guess the last thing I'll say about the, the Black Dawn arc yeah. and this revelation about the townspeople being aliens. And I don't maybe I maybe I missed I, I, I don't know that I got the sense that the, so many of them were. But was that was that the idea that it was like the majority of, of the townspeople? Majority, it was a majority of them. Yeah. Like all the key people in the town, like the major adults. Yeah. I I guess I don't love the concept of that. No, I, I suppose it's I guess I just like the idea of Hamilton being this normal, quiet place right. for them because there's so much insanity across the rest of the DCU. And, you know, even over the course of the rebirth, this rebirth era, the, the Kents right. move back to the city and, you know, we get them selling off the farm in the final issue here, but they've been living in Metropolis and the Jurgens are, yeah. makes that very clear. Like we always see them in their apartment there. Yes. Uh, so it's like, they're not even there all that long. I, I guess I just feel like it adds an unnecessary layer to it. I don't right. hate it, but I, I really, I could have done without it. Well, that's what I mean. Like it's one of those I liked, but didn't love. Yeah. I think that's a good way to say a lot of the major story arcs in the rebirth Superman stuff is I liked it, but I didn't love it. Looking back at it now, I think lots of great seeds planted. And unfortunately not all the seeds got to grow into flowers because they got fired and they hired Bendis. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So the, I'm jumping ahead a few volumes in the trade paperback yeah. collections, but there's one that's called hopes and fears. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have to confess out of that trade, I only read those two because those were the only two issues written by Tomasi and Gleason. The rest were, were guest arcs. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. And so I, yeah. I skimmed, I just, okay. I flipped pages, went, okay, 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 no. And then I focused <laughs> mainly on the declaration two-part yeah. yeah so we you know we have this very patriotic road trip that the kent family takes and again i think this is another instance where i liked it in concept more in execution and i i don't i don't mean to sound unpatriotic but it just right. felt so heavy-handed like they were just That's like exactly bludgeoning us use. with this yeah that literally was the phrase i was going to use i'm really glad you use it because nothing was wrong about it nothing was inappropriate about what they said it wasn't even it wasn't even taking it from one political side or the other i felt i think it was honoring history well i think it was a good history lesson for many people but it just like i was gonna say like i feel like i should have heard like <laughs> like that should have been underlying the entire reading of that of those two issues but I think it was a nice offshoot. I'm pretty sure that was, those came out around July 4th. I'm pretty sure those issues came out right around the holiday there. So it was a choice. It, it's again, I, I didn't dislike it because it wasn't, it was something different. It was they're They're on a vacation together. I love that aspect. Like they're doing a road trip. That's cool. We don't see that. Like Clark's in a car. Like, like why is Clark in a car? <laughs> I know. Well, uh, and it's funny because I, you know, anyone who's been listening closely to this might be like, what's with you guys? You complain about the issues that have too much action. Now we have yeah. two issues with no action and you're still complaining. I get it. I get it. I just, 
like I said, and I, I do agree yeah. with you. I I am more. I don't know. I, I, I'm more okay with these issues and more forgiving, quote unquote, of these yeah. issues because they did try something a little bit different and they were more in the vein of what I do tend to like. So, I, you know, I wouldn't toss these out. Could this have probably been one? Yeah. And to be honest, once I finished the first one, I was like, there's another one of these? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, so there was there was a little bit of that. The, you know, there was, there was a really good scene though where they were at a restaurant and mm-hmm. they, they, they were bringing in this this homeless vet t- to eat. Oh and, yeah, that was great, right? And the restaurant tried to turn them away. And, you know, Clark stood up for him, and that was a great moment. And you know, so stuff like that, I, I thought really worked. But uh, I don't know some of the rest of it, like when they were literally reading. Yeah, you know, from ages of it. Yeah, reading to John about history, I, it just felt more like an after school special yeah. type thing. Uh, so that 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 lost me a little bit. Well, and I, I think people should check it out. I think it'd be, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear other people's thoughts on it. If they felt it was as heavy handed as we were. Um, Cause this, let's see, that would have been, let's see that was issue 27, 28. So that's 2018, 20, maybe middle, middle of 2018. So uh, it depends on, you know, what there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the country that time. <laughs> True. Yeah, for sure. And a lot that's happened since. And uh, yeah, again, the yeah. context certainly matters. I'll, I'll also admit, just to sort of give a sense of my arc reading this, you know, yeah. I, we didn't talk about multiplicity yet, but we will. I I could not right. stand that arc. That did nothing for me. And then we went into Black Dawn, which I had issues with that I've already discussed. And then we hit yeah. this. So, you know, I'm just, I'm at a point now in my reading where I'm just like, I'm not yeah. I'm not really getting out of this what I think the intention was and what other people seem to get out of it. So that's coloring my view a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I I would say for those listening, if you wanted a really nice dabble into what Superman Rebirth was, I think 1 and 6 are good reads. I think I think honestly the getting to know Superman's family and, and learning more about John and what he's going through. Some really cool cameos. Volume six, Imperius Lex is on apocalypse. Is there some solid, solid writing and art in that trade? What do you think about that one? I agree. I, that's the thing I, I, like I was saying to myself, I would, and this sounds so arrogant, so forgive me, but I was like, I would love to like recut this, this yeah. arc because I really think this run, because I really think, if you you boiled it down to uh, like a lot of the the stories that you're talking about, it it is really solid. And I think those would be the best representations yeah. of this. So yes, I did like Imperius Lex, and we'll we'll get to that. But I guess just jumping back to the second trade again, not that we have to go chronologically, but yeah, the the, the trials of the of the Super Sun. So we talked about the county fair, and again, we had a nice return to the fair and the and the farewell issue number right. forty five. We also get a very this I liked this I appreciated DC the New Frontier is probably my all time favorite comic book story. So the fact that Clark and John go to Dinosaur Island and encounter yeah. Captain Storm, I I was on board for that two parter. Well, and it's dedicated to Darwin Cook, like the, that that arc is, and that's that's huge. Like he, there's a sketch of him in in the Hall of Fame at our store, you know. Um, between and, and if you haven't read Superman Confidential yet. There's some just great, 
great Darwin Cook stories and artwork in that in that series too. Um, I love like I don't have many issues, but anytime the Blackhawks or any like the World War II or early stuff comes in, I I think it's such a cool shift um, to an older time. I can't read a ton of it, but I just I I love this cameo in this Dinosaur Island part. It was awesome. Yeah, same here. And it was a really nice follow up in the special that uh, that they did yeah. at at the end of the you know the actual forty five yes. issue run. There, there was the special they go, where yeah, they, they go, go back, back, they keep their promise to go back and get Captain Storm, and and they and they do it, and you get to see him starting to acclimate to life back in the real world, and you know a great moment where he he goes to deliver the dog tags to the families mm-hmm. of his, his fallen uh, brethren and. Yeah. You know, he goes to check into a motel and he just he, like he can't sleep inside. And, see, and so he goes out and he sleeps on the, the flatbed of his truck. You know, that was that was great. I, I, I would have I could have spent some more issues with with Captain Storm yeah. on the road. Yep. It was a classy move, too, because I wonder if we've had a number of talks at the store about this. Like, would there have been volume eight? If there weren't decisions to move into new creators with Bendis coming in, would we have gotten more Tomasi Gleason stuff? I think we would have, and I think they would have returned to Dinosaur Island, but I think it was a very classy move to go, hey, our characters made a promise, so we have to stay true to that promise before we go away. So I just think that was a really, really cool, like being on top of your game when it comes to being in charge of your content. I love that. Yeah, the special was a nice touch. I, without knowing what went on behind the scenes, I like, my sense is that it was decided Bendis was getting the Superman books and the yeah. special, you know, because Jurgen's got a special too, as did Tomasi and Gleason, and I feel like that was yeah. sort of you know somewhat of a consolation prize, like you get and one you know bonus issue to say goodbye to rat to yeah. say goodbye and wrap up. And I think the yeah. fact, to your point, I think the fact that they chose to spend their special on dinosaur Island with captain storm speaks to where they would have gone if they had gotten more time. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's probably where, where that would have headed, but yeah, that was again, a nice, a nice callback to new frontier and a nice tribute to Darwin cook. Uh, so yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. I was there for that. And I also, I also did like the, the two parter with Damien again, you know, very heavy on the action and, but you get to see their dynamic. It sets up their dynamic. Well, and of course that will segue into the super sun's, ongoing series which i yeah. only ever I read, didn't read that oh you didn't i mean i, I like didn't. ever or no oh i have the first i have the first trade um i picked it up uh, and i was like you know what i should read this um so it's still on my list it's next to my bed i gotta read it but i'll probably, I'll probably pick it up after this but um i hear it's good and it didn't last as long either i heard this was great so i don't know what to, oh. to... <laughs> I heard this was I'm good. so sorry. I really, I'm so sorry. I just, listen, and I don't know, the people listening to this might be like, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to qualify this for us. Some things you're going to like, some yeah. things you're not. And hopefully that's where people are landing. Uh, but I, audience, please know, it, I've, I've felt conflicted over these past couple of episodes. I don't like to come on and just be like, oh, I didn't really like this. That, 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 yeah. I don't love to do that. I don't like to be in this position, but I, you know, we, I gotta, I gotta speak my truth. So here we are. Well, at a certain point where we get worried, we start to sound like the two old guys in the Muppets sitting in the balcony, just going like, ha ha, that's terrible. <laughs> like, that's, that's the hard thing. Yeah. 
I, like I said, it's not. I, I really think this was just a matter of uh, unrealistic expectations in large, yeah. in large part. What did you think of multiplicity? This was a multiversal story where uh, this villain prophecy is hunting Superman across the multiverse. So, yeah, I think we might. I don't think we disagree. I've gone over my years. I mean, I I got into comics late 80s, early 90s. So it was it was post-crisis. Going When I went back, I totally understood why they needed the Christ on Infinite Earths. Shut it all down. There's too many things, too many characters, too many versions. Let's go with one. So like for decades, I was like, no, there is one universe. Stop messing around. I've kind of, I've kind of softened on that a little bit. It's like, you know what? I'm bored of this one universe. Let's bring in a few other things, especially when they started doing like earth two and you started to see owl man and the crime syndicate and that kind of stuff. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. Um, there's actually, it's relevant now, but that, the, the, the justice league we see in the multiplicity in the, is it multiplicity? Yeah. Like uh, the, with the rabbit, is that Captain Carrot? Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. Yeah. So that team has been brought back again in the infinite frontier stuff. And there's a justice league incarnate series happening right now. It's fine. But again, it's, it's to me, it comes off as filler. Like a lot of the multiverse stuff is not, I don't know. I don't need to be a continuity snob, but I like to know what's going on. I like to not have questions like, wait, who's that? Is that the real one? How are they connected? Who died? Who didn't die? I don't, I don't love that, but I, I guess I'm less grumpy about the multiverse now than I used to be, but I didn't love this arc. Sure. I, I mean, I, and I hear everything you're saying. I, I don't, the thing is, I don't have any objection to the multiverse in and of itself. This story just yeah. didn't, I don't know what, I don't know what it really said. Uh, you know, I mean, I super, the fact that Superman yeah. was willing to sacrifice himself for the others, like sure, but that doesn't tell us anything that we don't already know. And I guess, well, maybe I don't love the multiverse that much because I guess the idea <laughs> maybe <laughs> is that you would be so excited to just see all these other Supermen. That doesn't do yeah. anything for me. So this arc, unfortunately, uh, fell flat. Uh, I'm sorry. And to say. yeah, and you've said this on previous episodes too, where you know there's bad Superman. Oh, never seen that before. Like, <laughs> like, I, yeah, like I, I kind of like seeing. I, I'm okay seeing older versions of Superman if they work together and they help each other. That's I, I'm okay with that. I don't need odd versions of Superman. I don't. I don't, I don't love that too much. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't love it. I wasn't a big fan. I, I skimmed a lot of that one too. I was like, ah, like I, I, I tried a few and then I saw this is not getting better. So I, I, I flipped a lot more than I should have probably. <laughs> it's, uh, it's okay. It's, I, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I really get it. So, and if there's anything that we're, we're glossing over that you want to jump back to at any point, we certainly can, yeah. but just to sort of move us along, that was multiplicity. We, you know, we talked about, Black Dawn, and we also talked oh, about hopes and fears. Yep, there's a Black Dawn line that I did want to bring up. Oh, that sure. I thought was that I thought was really cool. Actually, I wrote it down. Um, a few actually. So Lois says this. So where is it? It's an issue of twenty four. 
But she says to Clark, I'll trust you. I'll trust you'll always do the right thing, even if it kills you. And I, I just thought that, like, we've seen, we know that she's seen that happen in, in the, when he died. Um, but I think, like, he was concerned that, that she wasn't going to trust what he was doing and where, where he was going to go and how he's going to deal with this. And she's like, no, no, like, I know that you're going to do the right thing. Like, that's, you can't not do the right thing. Which then leads to when Clark is so pissed off at Manchester Black and he's beating the living crap out of him and says, I could kill you. And then Manchester Black says, if you are capable of that, why aren't we having a toast over the corpse of Darkseid right now? I was like, ooh, yeah. He kind of nails him on that one. Like, <laughs> Like, he's Superman saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, you're not. I know you're not. Because if you were that guy, Darkseid would be dead by now. Yeah. And I, and I hate Manchester Black because he's right. Because <laughs> 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 like, ah, you suck. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a cool moment. And yes, right. We know Superman will only ever go so far. But his rage right. at Manchester's moves against his son yeah. That felt very palpable. I also, on a positive note, I did love that it was Lois who kind of snapped John out of it after he's yeah. been infected by the black goo. Or I mean, I, I don't even know what yeah. that was. But the fact that you know she's like Jonathan Samuel Kent, and you know she's able to sort of uh, you know snap him out of it. So I, yeah. I, I appreciated that. Well, and you mentioned the, the line about Dark Side, so I think that's a that's a perfect segue to the Imperious Lex arc. Yeah, um, before we do that, yes. I would encourage readers because we're talking about I just we mentioned we mentioned Dark Side, we mentioned Superman not killing, we mentioned him like rage. Philip Kennedy Johnson stuff right now in action comics. I would strongly suggest you should read that, Anthony, and reader and our and our listeners should pick it up. There's really cool stuff going on with the dynamic of War World and Superman and his son and what's What's ultimately coming? You're you're gonna want to get on board for reading this, so I, I just think you'll like it. All right, right on. I've when we know this is dangerous sometimes, but I've heard amazing things. I'm very yeah. interested. I'm very curious. I've I've just wanted to sort of close these little gaps first before I <laughs> I I dive Start in. Start going up. <laughs> buying future books. <laughs> but so once I again it's really it's really the Bendis run that I want to take care of and then yeah. like I said New Krypton we'll get to at the end of the year New 52 will be beyond that but that's sort of its own thing so I'm not too concerned about that so really especially once we've taken care of Bendis I'll feel uh, pretty good about getting into the current stuff and catching up and yes you can expect episodes on that uh, in, in the future probably not this year but I, I am excited to right. get into all that so yeah, cool. Imperious Lex, this this was probably one of my favorite arcs of of this run here. What worked about this for you? Um, it felt like a Justice League Unlimited episode. Oh yeah, like I don't know. It just it, there were scenes in it that like felt very episodic, cartoon kind of approach. Finally, that I really enjoyed, and like when Clark and Lois and John are all like summoned to apocalypse but they're all transported to different areas they're not together and like i remember rereading that going like oh damn <laughs> what's gonna happen how are they each gonna deal with this and it's really cool actually i think it, i love seeing 
each of their reactions, what they had to deal with to find each other again, and Lois kicking the Fury's ass. Like, I loved that whole section. And the Fury, I've always loved the Furies. There's something so raw and crazy about them. Yeah, that was that was probably that was definitely one of my favorite parts about it too. How quickly she rises within the ranks of yeah. the Furies. Yeah, she's just so capable yeah. in it. And that's the thing, even though she's completely out of her element, it tracks. Yeah. Given yep. all the danger she's experienced and being the daughter of of General Sam Lane General. Like, yeah, and <laughs> of the the wife of Superman, it's like sure, I buy this. I also yep. going back to the bit about the animals. There was redemption for John Kent here because he saves. <laughs> Yep, he saves these dogs. These are these apocalypse dogs. Uh, so I like that. That was a nice a nice moment of redemption for him. And what was one of the things that was cool about this? You know, there was very little other than the reborn crossover. There were no direct crossovers between Action and Superman during this time. And right now, having read both of them, you really can read each of them on their own track and get what you need. Yeah. But there is that arc, Men of Steel, early on in the Jurgens run where. These these beings, the remnants, have a vision of the future where Lex takes over Apocalypse mm-hmm. and and brings forth death and destruction, and they want to kill him in the present to avoid that future. So I thought in, in at least some way this was a nice sort of follow-up to that arc where you see him being called to Apocalypse to right. rule and him saying, no, it's actually Superman who is <laughs> this prophecy yeah, and, and sort of kicking all of that uh, off. So yeah, I mean, I, it was cool. There, I have some thoughts on the ending, but do you have anything else uh, along the way that you wanted to talk about? That's ah, funny. I'm looking at my notes about that too. So some of my favorite scenes was actually Superman and Lex kicking ass together. Like I really enjoyed that inside the last issue of this arc. I thought that was really cool. But then as much as I go, oh, how cool. Then you read the end of the issue and I was a little conflicted on on all that. So I'm going to hear what you think about the last scenes with Superman and Lex. I guess the question that I would pose to you and the the question that I've been trying to answer for myself is, does it, does Lex's decision to remove the Superman crest, does it track with, with like what we've seen in this? I don't know that the story really earns that moment. I mean, Lex is upset that Superman didn't respond to his earlier call for help and that he still doesn't seem to fully trust Lex, but it felt, it felt like a bridge too far to smash the, 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 the S symbol on, on, on the suit. What did you think? I, and it's, it's going to sound kind of weird, but I kind of thought it was too far for Superman to say what he said to Lex. Oh, like, because honestly, the problem is too, this is not his Lex. Well, now it is. so now, now we're, it is? well, so now we're that's the that's the thing with this. Now we're past reborn, right? So now we're in this merged timeline. Oh, that's right. So this is his Lex from his universe now. I mean, I don't know. Yes, like see, that's that's the thing where I feel like there's, I feel like there's damage there, and like there's you can't repair it. Superman's got baggage from Lex. And whether this is that Lex or not, like I feel like he's he's imprinting his baggage onto this Lex, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but I don't feel Lex fully deserved all of it. Yeah, like he's still Lex and he's still going to do certain things, but him calling him a hypocrite, Lex was trying to just do what he does best. He's still an arrogant bastard, but 
I mean, the fact that he was still wearing the S and trying to symbolize what he thought Superman stood for, as much as he hates that he's an alien, he was still trying to do that. I, I, I think I, I think tearing it off his chest was too far. Um, but I can see why he's pissed because I don't know if Superman really deserved to do that to him at that at that point. Your point is well taken. Yeah, I was coming at it from the other angle, but I do get what you're saying. I, yeah, it just felt like I don't know to end on that moment. It like it, quick. it. Yeah, that's the thing. I wouldn't. I know it's called Imperious Lex, but I don't know like how much of a Superman and Lex story I really saw this right. as. No. Uh, so I don't know that that ending just really attract with what what we were given. Um, I feel like, yeah, I, I don't think it was unpacked enough. I think it was too quick at the end to then warrant that ending. So what we're saying is there were a lot of arcs here that probably could have been an issue or two shorter. But here was an example <laughs> of we probably needed another issue. The point is, people, there's no pleasing us, I guess, is what it no, comes to. No, that's how it is. <laughs> And DC Comics, <laughs> you really should call us more often to ask us. <laughs> Please. Listen, this especially is... now, especially now, AT and T. Yeah, look, we're a podcast, man. That's what we're here for. It's all with love. Yeah. It's all with love. That's true. The... Well, I mean, you and Zach, you and Zach were talking about Smallville, and you were laughing about like, guys. Okay, just remember, we really love this show. <laughs> like, we <laughs> Zach's been doing seven seasons of his podcast. He loves that show, but when we poop on it, it's in love. For God's sake, Anthony's wearing a flannel red Clark Kent Smallville shirt right now. We love this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the same shirt I'm wearing now for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a huge rotation of what I wear for these episodes, but that's yeah, the thing. Clark doesn't have a very yeah. He doesn't have a deep closet either. Clark's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is, it is all love. Anyway, the the other thing about this arc i guess two things on the apocalypse side i really did okay. like this angle of the warring factions yeah on apocalypse trying to seize power that felt yeah. very fitting what <laughs> what i really wrestled with especially after rewatching and discussing the new gods episodes from superman oh, yeah. animated series yeah yeah at the end of this, Superman, you know, sort of accepts the throne of Apocalypse, but then is very quick to say, like, this is your planet and you need to yeah. move forward and find a way and and free those who have been enslaved by Darkseid. And you get at least the, the beginnings of that actually happening. You, you get this. Mm -hmm. The story definitely gives you the sense that they have heeded or they're going to heed his words. Right. And all I could think of was that. So that was such an impactful scene in the series finale of Superman, the animated series. Oh yeah. When Superman it, throws the defeated dark side down to the yeah. people and he's like, all right, do with him what you will. And, and they carry him away and they tend to him. And yes. it, but that made so much sense. It yes. was like, that's what this place is. This is what dark side has cultivated yeah. in all of these. There are broken, beaten, people in despair so this whole oh. thing i felt was like way too optimistic <laughs> yes like uh, like what we what we never really come to terms with is apocalypse is glorified stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. like you you learn to treat your kidnapper or your like dictator as someone you love like you can't imagine knowing what to do with your life 
if this person didn't tell you what to do. And that's I, that does not, yeah. The end of the animated series tracks, this didn't. This felt weird. Yeah. But again, people, it's it is some of the best of this, so I would read it. Yeah, it was like I said. Overall, I did enjoy it. I, was this the is this the place then when we get? I can't remember if it was this trade or a different one where we get that one off with Superman taking the the sick children to the to the JLA Watchtower. That might have been earlier in the series. I can't remember. No, I think it was earlier. Yeah, I don't think it was this one. I know we didn't really we didn't well, we didn't talk about that one at all. It, that anytime you're dealing with you know, ill children, it's just, it's upsetting, you know? So that was, that it was, it was tough just in and of itself, right. but that was in hopes and fears. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But you know, very heartwarming to see Superman doing that. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess what was your take on, on that, that, that was kind of scary actually. Yeah. Was that, the, was that the one with Parallax and Sinestro and that one too? Is that the one you're talking about? The kidnapped kids? I think, Oh no, no, no. This was just, it was just a single issue story where, oh. Superman takes a group of sick children to the watchtower for a day and oh. the J- the justice league like creates this little scavenger hunt for them. I can't remember where that oh, was. That's okay. I, I can't remember which trade it was either here or may, it might've been hopes and fears or I think it was here. No, I think it actually was in, in this one. Oh, I don't know, man. I, I missed it in any event. Uh, it was, yeah. they're definitely uh, heartwarming aspects to the story. And, um, did not feel, you know, I think it avoided some of the pitfalls of the, of the road trip sort of thing. Oh, okay. Although they had Batman participating in this field trip to the watchtower. And I just said to myself, I was like, you know, not to, yeah, it's like, I don't want to nitpick about this, this story. It's like, just take it for what it is. It's, it's a heartwarming tale, but I just felt like, I don't think Batman would be there, but I feel like Bruce Wayne would then write a huge check to the children wing of, oh, of the hospital. Yeah. I felt like that would, would have been more in keeping, but, and that was, I think it was, uh, I think that was a Barry Kitson doing the art. Um, oh, that okay. One. Yeah. But it was a Tomasi Gleason uh, issue, but anyway, that was one oh, of those cool. other just, uh, uh, one-offs. Yeah. All right, my friend, we're at Bizarro verse. Oh, me am not. Happy. Okay. Um, how do you want to start this? Because want me to share why Bizarro is not my favorite character. Yes. Um, Bizarro infuriates me because it makes me think too much. <laughs> yeah. So especially, especially this. I know that sounds really trivial, listeners, but I hate having to translate Bizarro speak while I'm reading these issues. And I think it takes away from the story itself because I'm going, wait, like, does he mean this? Oh, he means that. Oh, he doesn't mean this. And then the other characters, because Superman's trying to speak in Bizarro, but he's not great at it. That was That's the biggest takeaway that took away from me loving the story is that it took me forever to read because I'm translating. I, Where are you at? I have the same problem. And more and more that whenever especially now over the course of doing this podcast and and reading so much it's like now i've had a few instances recently where i've bumped up against this and it's the same thing and it's like you know i was high school valedictorian i passed the bar exam on the first try yeah i'm no dummy i think i'm pretty sharp but (laughs) i and i don't know as i'm reading this it's like am i 
am I not thinking about it enough or am I overthinking it? Because I yes. feel, you know what I feel like this is where I run into trouble sometimes because there's the, the words are, are, are opposite, but then also the, the, I mean, I guess like the, the, the nouns and adjectives, but also the verb sometimes. And I guess that's yes. where I run into the yes. issue of like, what exactly are we trying to convey here? Well, and then it's, the grammar's terrible too, because it's not the right pronouns at the right. Yeah. So it says, here's a deal. Bizarro to me is a character <laughs> that should have been novelty. Like that's cute for like, that, like four panels cute. But we had four issues trying to tell actually a pretty heartfelt story that I did not feel it did it honorably because of I had to read all that. Now, hold on, though. The art is incredible. Yeah, it's pretty. It is the very art, gorgeous. It is just beautiful. Like, it, so if you want to see something really cool, read just just flip through it. Like, oh, these are this is incredible renditions of all these characters i just i just couldn't i couldn't do it anthony it killed me it killed me and it was the last one you know it's funny because i i thought that uh, etrigan's rhyming drove me nuts but yeah. I, i'll read an etrigan story any day over the bizarro speak i it i really find it grating and to your point i do i really think it takes away from the effectiveness of this character. Like you just heard this and the audience heard this when we covered the yeah. bizarro episodes of Superman, the animated series, those were right. among my favorites because of the, see there you had all the me and bizarro, but you didn't have the full extent of the backwards speak oh. to the extent yeah. where you have to try to decipher what's being said. And that allows you to latch on to the inherent tragedy of the characters. Yes. And that's yes. what works. And that's what you lose when you spend all this time. I, audience, I would really love to know are, are like are people and you know what? Here's actually an interesting question. Because <laughs> writers seem really committed to this backward speak. And I does anyone actually like this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Please tell us if you, if we're wrong. I I, 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 just, I also I also don't like and I know this is a you know, a throwback, but I don't like Bizarro World. Right. I like the Bizarro who's a clone of Lex gone a ride. Arrive. Agreed. I feel like that works best, and especially for a modern setting, and and it, and it makes Bizarro distinct. When you then put him on a world full of Bizarros, that I, I that holds no appeal for me. No, and like I think when you treat Bizarro in the weird, like Lex was kind of Doctor Frankenstein a little bit, creating and trying this, and it turns out to be the monster who's lovable but is misunderstood. That's great. And that's the right dose. Um, I'm so with you that the whole planet, like, no, 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 no. I did feel, so now there's a bizarro sun, right? Mm-hmm. On their planet. Yeah. Which that has no closure because like, well, we never get. Closure. He's in Hamilton County. That's where they everyone ends up from another planet. <laughs> I swear. I see. That's a perfect example of why that's wrong. Have you been to, Is you know, they just call it Hamilton County. 300 miles north of metropolis but are is it is it meant to be like hamilton new york like upstate new york i still uh, i argue with i know this is a ridiculous thing to argue with people about but we argue about the location of metropolis (laughs) right like my 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 freshman in high school daughter gets triggered when we talk when you watch the smallville tv show (laughs) Yeah. 
she gets so pissed off. She's like, okay, how far away is Metropolis from Smallville? Can somebody please tell me how far it is? Because I feel like something happened to the Talon, and then they're magically able to drive to Metropolis quickly. But then it seems like Superman's got to like run at super speed there pretty quick. So somebody should go, somebody tell me where Metropolis is. And I like there are people that think it's Chicago. There's people that think it's Chicago. There's others that think it's like, like Baltimore or that area that's near New York City, which is Gotham. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I feel like there have been maps at some point, like that DC put out that placed it in uh, Delaware, sort of. But I mean, they, I th- they're liars. <laughs> here's the thing: on the Smallville TV show, I, I think it's very clear that it's in Kansas. Yeah. But to your earlier question, as far as how far away, it depends on which season. Because if you watch the early seasons, it was clearly, it was clearly, it was like a couple of hours away. You know, at the end of season two, Red K. Clark hops on that motorcycle and rides off. And you you get the sense this guy's got a long drive ahead of him. In later seasons, as they shifted more of the action to Metropolis, it became like a very close suburb of Metropolis. That was the effect. So I don't think they knew. And then Superman and Lois, when Ma Kent is dying... You see how long he's flying at super speed to get there. Yeah. I'm like, that doesn't seem close. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so funny how mad my teenager gets. Like, somebody tell me the answer to this question. But yeah, so how do we even get on that? Why do we talk about Oh, Hamilton County. I was I was wondering oh. if that was if that was meant to be Hamilton, New York, which the only the only experience I have is that in in my old job. And my old role at at my job, um, I used to have to do a lot of admissions recruitment. And there was this oh. upstate New York swing that we would have to do every year. And the first year that I worked there, it was I, uh, that was the rite of passage. And so it was like Buffalo, uh, Rochester, Ithaca, Hamilton. And yeah. it's, you know, very rural up there. Uh, so I don't know if that, if that was the inspiration for it or if that's upstate. what it was meant to be. No offense to all you upstate New Yorkers, but upstate New York is like Pennsylvania with an attitude. I'm not, you know, because it's funny, especially I think on my other podcast, my comic shop history, I've, I've knocked upstate and I feel like a couple of times people are like, hey, what? I, I, it's, it's, you know what it is? I, my father's family is from there. And when I was a kid, yeah. like once a year, we would like take the six hour drive up to Rochester. And I think that's sort of just colored my view of it. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but and especially doing that trip, I was not happy to be doing that trip for work. So I feel like that no. that just added to it. But yeah, there's not not a ton up there. But who knows? I'm from listen. I I grew up in New Jersey, so people are going to rib me for that <laughs> alone. And I, but we we always have a, a little rivalry between anything New York and New Jersey. So, but to to your point, yes. Yeah, so so Rob Zaro and. Super boy, boys, Aro, you know, remain yeah. in in Hamilton. He's in Hamilton. Yeah, in Hamilton. So I love the art here. I'm with you on that. And mm-hmm. it was genuinely heartbreaking when Bizarro leaves, abandons yeah. boys, Aro. So that you know that moment I thought was effective. But otherwise, yeah, I did not like Bizarro World. I I could do without the other versions of the Bizarro characters, and I really. If I never read another Bizarro speak issue again, yeah. I'd be perfectly yeah. happy. So, do you want to talk about Action 1000? Sure. Because that was a cool reread for me. I love revisiting that because 
That was an awesome. I was, I, I knew I was, there was a moment I wrote, I typed in, I knew Anthony would love the reign of Superman nod that they had in the, in the walk down memory lane through action 1000. Such a, there's so many great like snapshots of all different like versions of the characters. Right. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's really cool as Superman is, I think the, the, the setup for it, right. Is like a villain is like trapping him in time, right. Yeah. He's living all these different versions of his life and, yeah. It's taking us through the actual publishing history of the character. And so that's, it's really, it was very perfectly fitting for that milestone issue. What I loved, you know, my newfound love of the golden age. And I mm-hmm. loved those couple of pages where Clark is like, you know, and I was, it was like, I was in the thirties and I didn't have x-ray vision and heat vision and all that. But like, I just felt like so free and it was so simple and pure. Yeah. Like we knew who the bad guys were. And I feel <laughs> like that really captured the sense of those early, like very dynamic, energetic, punchy, uh, golden age story. So yeah, I thought that was, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. I was a, overall, I was, I really enjoyed action 1000, uh, and especially the Tomasi Gleason story. So the last thing really to talk about is number 45, my like favorite issue. Very, it was, yeah, they, they saved the best for last. And I, I'll be positive here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very happy to have that issue in particular now in, in my head when I think of Superman and, and yeah. not to, not to put too fine a point on it or oversell it, but I, in, in a lot of ways, like it made, it made the journey worthwhile. I, I, you know, when, when they're packing up the farm and, and, and Lois is, is mopping up the footprints, yeah. you know, little John's foot. I mean, it, especially as a parent, it, it really gets you. I mean, what, what stood out to yes. you about that issue? So, I wrote that. Well, first of all, I said it's it's one of the best issues in the whole run. Like, I, I totally agree with you. I wrote down there are like Tomasi life lessons that he basically wrote in this issue, and there's three. So, one, um, you choose who you are when things don't go your way, uh, and and he wrote the differences between helping others and helping yourself. That's like Tomasi life lesson one to walk away with. Uh, lesson two was really about this character. It's it's not about powers. It's about his character. It's it's not about what Superman can do. It's of who he is and how he uses his powers because of who he is. So that goes for all of us. Like that goes for whatever your gifting is, whatever your skill set is, whatever your knowledge is. It's not about that. It's about your character. It's do you do the right thing even when nobody's looking? That's what I loved about that life lesson. Last one, follow truth, seek justice, and stand with your family who always loves you. That's that's like the, the third Tomasi life lesson that we walk away from the rebirth with. What do you think about all those? Uh, I'm with you. Those all resonated. I also loved the quote about nothing gold can stay and oh, needing Robert to embrace Frost. change yeah. and, and you know, echoing, you know, he shared the words with Jonathan that his own father taught him about how there's a yep. season for everything. And yeah, I thought that that was really resonant as, as we all go through our different phases and, and sometimes, you know, when, when one phase is ending and another's beginning and you can come yeah. to terms with it or try to, like they are here, they know that they're selling their farm and they're, they're now living in the city. Um, and other times, you know, you don't really realize it until it's happened. But uh, I, I thought I thought that worked uh, really well. I, I loved Lois taking the mailbox, mm-hmm. and both Superman and Flash commenting about how that's right, not supposed to do that. But I thought that was a nice touch that they then uh, had in their apartment. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. It it really kind of encapsulates, I think, the best parts of the Rebirth run. Like, it, it really just makes a tiny... You could really honestly read the first few issues of Volume 1 mm-hmm. and read 45 to understand the tone of what Tomasi and Gleason were trying to get across to readers about their love for this character. Um, I really also loved what they did, not just in this issue, but I think it crossed the, like the general run is you do just rem- you constantly get a reminder of how much Clark and Lois love each other. It is, it is evident and it's not just they're married. It's not just they're historically Clark and Lois, they they truly love each other and it's how they just act and talk to each other and hold each other and even in hard times just go i am your partner that that's how it works um the last thing i really noticed man is it really drove home that superman is a family book and not a superhero book like it can be what a family needs to hear and not just He's super and he's got a cape and because he's an alien, he's got superpowers. It, it, it's, it's who and how he brings people into his family and why they're important to him. So that's my general take from 45. And also the little nuggets that I took along the way. I think that's why I'm, I'm that's my positive spin on all of the stuff that we were like about. <laughs> well said. There's definitely, there, there, there are a lot of those, those life lesson nuggets to be mined yeah, you know, from this run, I agree with you in terms of the Lois and Clark relationship. Even in those those road trip issues with, that I didn't love, uh, there's a, a moment where I think John falls asleep and Clark's like he grabs some wine and he's like, "Do you want to look at the stars and make out?" And it's like, yeah, you know, and yeah. and again, especially with, I mean, I don't agree with this, but I think the notion sometimes like, oh, if you've married a couple, they feel so old. It's like, no, they don't have yeah. to. And I think that's a good example of showing how they can still be young and and vibrant and everything. So I, I like that a lot, and it was—I mean—that issue. It really was a great finale because it did tie a lot together, and and especially by repositioning them at the fair, and you get to see everyone. And Clark even remarks about how many people came out to say goodbye to them. Yeah, I guess. I mean, not to turn this into a complaint, but I—I I, I, maybe it would have been nice to see more of them interacting with the town i mean i yeah. feel like we again you get it a little bit here and there mostly with with kathy and, and grandpa Cobb, but it would have been nice to get even even more of that but i guess they you know especially with the way these stories unfolded and what where the focus was i don't know that there was necessarily real estate well, for that. yeah and keep in mind too like i mean they're they weren't there that long true they were only really there for maybe three well in our in our issues three to four years. Um, but they didn't interact with as many people as we think, like we're, like you just said, but um, yeah, I, I think this was a conscious effort by DC comics. I don't think there's any mistake about the emphasis on Clark and Lois family um, having a son. I think there's been a lot of plans to retire Clark Kent. I think, I think there's been a lot of comments and a lot of rumors going around too. Like at a certain point, 1938 to 2022, 
is now we're it's 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 a big suspension of disbelief like this character has never aged or died or grown old and like now in current comics you're seeing he's graying a little bit and his powers are getting weaker and they're i think this was conscious like they're going this is the beginning towards a new chapter in clark's either older chapter or of maybe eventual demise who knows hmm interesting yeah i mean well and that points to what's to come and and as much as mm-hmm. i will cover the bendis run in you know in, in its own episode in the future yeah i know you read it so i'm just curious because i i know that the reaction from a lot of people was not necessarily positive even if for no other reason than people were enjoying what tomasi and gleason were doing i mean from your perspective what were the biggest losses by them handing the baton to bendis I, I think the biggest rub is that Bendis ages John. I think I've seen more, you know, the, the terrible social media, like very hateful comments. Like, I'm not a fan of this at all. And we've talked about this. But to just go so off the rails where we're really seeing such cool dynamics unfolding at the age of 10, 11, to go whoop and just like go like six years forward, you lose the you, you, we lost a lot of cool growth as father mother son dynamics go. Um, I think that really upset a lot of readers. I, I wonder though how you know when Rebirth came out, it was a breath of fresh air from the New Fifty Two, which seemed bananas to me. I wonder if. Like if I go back and reread the Bendis stuff, even though it's only really been, I think, two years, I do wonder if I look at it away from the lens of you took away Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson from me. Um, you took away young John Kent. You shifted these tones. I wonder if I reread it, go, you know what, for what it is, it's still quality. Because I do love prior Bendis non-DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a big fan of his work. I think, I don't know, I, I it's almost like you appreciate the NFL coach when they're on somebody else's team. But when they take over your team, you're like, no, screw that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would be curious to know if, if your view on that run changes. I mean, like I said, I've not read it yet with the exception of the yeah. man of steel miniseries, but I am well aware of the aging up of John and maybe I would feel differently when I read it. I don't know. The, yeah. the thing that I just find crypt- so puzzling on stuff too. Yeah. Yes. I have even that I have thoughts on even with that. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I guess the, I mean, you know, even in man of steel and, and the action 1000 right. story, we touched on it. So I have some frame of reference for that, but Specifically with Aging Up John, it's just so puzzling to me because it took so... You think about the decades that it took to get Lois and Clark married and then how many more years it took for them to have a kid, right? And we skipped over John's first 10 years. We see his birth and then he's 10. And it just feels like it took so long. It took 80 years (laughs) to get here. Like, just let this play out, even if they played it out in real time. So it takes seven years... For him yep. to get from ten to seventeen, it's just like, mm-hmm. come on, you got to look at the at the big picture here. Or 
the other thing that I was thinking of is like, you know, through time travel shenanigans, like you could kind of have your cake and eat it too. You can bring in an yes. older version temporarily or yeah. send Clark into the future. So you can have that dynamic play out for a period of time, but yeah. you're like not Legion. You get the Legion come. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I, yeah. the frustrating thing about the whole ordeal, which is we're going a little off the rails at the end here, but I think the biggest issue with DC comics now and the fans that have done the long haul is we've seen it go from DC comics to Warner brothers, DC comics to AT&T Warner brothers, DC comics. And it go from comics to multimedia to corporate to conglomerate. And anytime it goes from small general store kind of mentality of comics to like, boom, 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 bigger, bigger, the artistic creativity is lost. Like, I guarantee you that the chief execs at DC would want this and this and this. And they're hearing, that's not how we're going to be able to market that. We're not doing that right now. And yeah, there's, there's a lot more to unpack there, but I think that's what makes us sad where the business side of comics gets in the way of the creative side of comics. Yes. Well said as we, as we wrap up here, one thing that I, I don't think I mentioned when we were talking about the Eradicator, just going back to that first arc for a second, I, I did mm-hmm. like his motivation felt perfectly on point, even though this mm-hmm. was a, a revised version of the character. But the fact that he wants to purge the human side from John because yes. the Kryptonian bloodline has been tainted, that felt very much in keeping, even though now the means and, and the MO of the Eradicator have changed with these soul sucking powers or whatever you want to call them. But, yeah. but still the ultimate motivation definitely felt uh, in, in keeping. So I just wanted to to mention that. Was there yeah. anything else you wanted to say about this run before we wrap up? Oh man, we, we talked, we, once again, you and I did it. We're at two hours. We did. Okay. I, I've just come to the conclusion. That's the length of this podcast more often than not. <laughs> I've stopped fighting it because yeah. I just feel like that's, this is where the conversations typically yeah. go. We never stretch to try to hit two hours. Yeah. But this Honestly, is just off where we land. Everybody listening that has a commute, you get us on the way home and you get us on the way to work. Enjoy. You, you get the whole episode. No, man, I uh I I think I think we said plenty. I think we hit the tone of the books. And um yeah, I, I really think we touched on why they went the way they did. Um the tone of the books, the characters are still important, and the idea of the family I think changed a lot in the in the mythos too, which is important. And in the end, not just for this run, but also for the Jurgens run that I talked about last time to sort of put a bow on all of this. While I didn't enjoy both runs the way I thought I would and the way a lot of other people seem to, I appreciate them. I really do appreciate the work of the creators and Jurgens and Tomasi and Gleason. I, I enjoy their work generally. So, yeah. you know, none of this is a knock on them per se. And more than anything else, I appreciate what this era did. I think it served a very important function. It, like you said, I mean, it was designed as a course correction after the new 52. I mean, as much as it sold and it did bring people into comics in the end, especially when it comes to Superman, seems like for the, for most fans, it was not the, the core of the character that they were really looking for. And so I appreciate that this brought that back. 
And that mm-hmm. for a lot of fans, this is a, a high point in their Superman reading journey. And I totally yeah. appreciate that. And to whatever extent it informed the Superman and Lois TV show, which I derive so much meaning and enjoyment from. Yeah. Even if these comic stories weren't my favorite, they, they lent themselves extremely well to what's happening on this other version of the story in a different medium. And so I just, I see that it has a lot of value and I, and I appreciate it. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's if, if the sole importance of it was an ends, a means to an end to get us Superman and Lois then it's worth it. I think, I think it was the right time to do these books to then move the character forward into the 21st century better. Yeah. Well, Bernie, as always, I appreciate your time and I always have fun talking to you and we're going to be doing this again soon in a few episodes. I'm going to be kicking off a five part Donnerverse event where we'll be looking at the Superman of Richard Donner across media And you will be joining me to reconsider the Superman Returns movie. So we'll see how it holds up all these years later. I'm excited to rewatch and discuss with you. So that's coming down the line a little bit. Same. I I think I've seen it in the theaters. And then I saw it once when it came out on DVD. And I've not seen it since. And we're going to watch it. Yeah, my youngest is going to watch it for the first time. So she's excited. Good. I, I, I'm, I can't wait to compare notes. I've seen it maybe one more time than you on, yeah. on Blu-ray, but same, same type of, of experience. So that'll be a lot of fun. So thank you as always. As we said before, make sure you check out Bernie on the Oh Yeah Skokie Facebook page and make sure you come back next week for an all new episode. We have a couple of standalone installments coming up before we head into that five part Richard Donner event. So a lot of cool stuff to come. Thank you as always for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. So come back next time, and until then, remember, it's about what you do, it's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark The New Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money-back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.